for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I wonder how often he thought about it. My guess is that every time that he walked out and looked up at the brilliance of the night sky, the, the memory came back and the thought crossed his mind. And when I say brilliance, like he probably could see the stars in ways that you and I never have. Because out where he lived, there were no neon lights or illuminated signs or street lights all along. I mean, in fact, he, out where he lived, he didn't even have electricity. And so he could look up there and he could see Stars in the sky just fill that sky and pop in his eyes when he would look. And every time he looked at the stars, he was reminded of the promise, which is pretty significant for a guy like this because what, what kind of person, in fact, some people would probably say what kind of person in their right mind would do what he did? He left the very heart of civilization to go to a place that many felt was out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, he didn't even really know where he was going or what he was doing, but he packed up his family and he left because he was being obedient and he was doing what he thought he needed to do because he had been made a promise. Fortunately for Abraham, the one who gave him the promise was God himself. And we hear it several times throughout the Old Testament, but once you you see this Genesis chapter 15, here's Here's God's promise to Abraham. God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abraham had a promise from God that his offspring, his descendants, his family would be so numerous that it would be more than the stars in the sky. Here's the interesting part. He gets this promise and then it's 25 years before the sun is born. That's a long time waiting when it's just you and the night sky and your livestock and your stars and wondering if your God is out there. And yet, 25 years later, this son is born. And if you're familiar with the biblical story, you know that it's a son named Isaac. And for those years, Abraham had hung on to this one thing. He had hung on to this one promise. A son is coming. A son is coming. God has made a promise to me and he's gonna keep it. And then God does the unthinkable. Abraham is born and the reality of the the promise, the son that was coming is there. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I want you to offer up your son's life to me. This, this This was wrong, this was immoral. Why would God do this? And yet Abraham knew that he could trust God. And if you're familiar with the story, with the knife in the air, God stops Abraham and says, Abraham, you have proven yourself to be obedient and faithful to me. And he goes back to this promise again in that moment as he's talking about this, this story with Abraham and Isaac. Look at this, Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. God says to Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And it all started with this one promised son. 
This one child that God gave to Abraham. Now the lens of history lets us see clearly the millions of Jewish people who have walked the planet since this time. But Abraham couldn't see this. All he knew is that God had given him a promise that said as many as the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky, I am going to bless you, Abraham, which is why this is a good story to remind us of this principle, that God sometimes fulfills his big promises in what appear to be baby steps. That God sometimes fulfills his big promises in what appears to be baby steps. Can you imagine Abraham hoping for the stars in the sky And now as a really old man, because scripture, we'll look at this in a moment. He was really old when Isaac was born. He says, God, you've promised me all these descendants. And all I've got is this little toddler taking these steps. And God says, Abraham, you can trust me. Because sometimes God fulfills his, his greatest promises in our lives by what appears to us to just be baby steps. Because I... I have a tendency to say, God, I want all the answers all at once. And God says, how about you slow it down a little bit there, big fella? I say, God, I think more is better. And God says, yeah, but you should see what I can do with small things. I say, God, bring it on. He says, I will when you're ready. And sometimes he wants us to trust him. Can I be led in baby steps? Am I willing to believe that God's plan is the best plan? Because sometimes he fulfills his promises in small ways. Let let me give you a really really, uh, uh, uncomfortable analogy, but I think that maybe this will help us. Have you ever seen a snowflake? Anybody seen a snowflake? Do you remember last Sunday? It started with just one, didn't it? One snowflake that if, you, if, you're, if you're lucky enough to catch it on your tongue, it's gone. But let those suckers keep coming with enough time and consistency and determination. Those snowflakes become a blizzard. And all Abraham could see were those baby steps. But God said, Abraham, you trust me because these baby steps will turn out to be more than the stars in the sky. Sometimes we just have to trust him even when we don't understand the whole thing. And the truth is, I'm pretty sure Abraham didn't understand the whole thing. I don't know that he could grasp the big picture of what was really happening here with the promise that God had given to him. But he knew the story, I'm, I'm fairly sure. See, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, we can trace Abraham all the way back as a descendant of Adam and Eve. We know that all of humanity started with Adam and Eve in the garden, and Abraham probably would have known this because the history at that time would have been told. There wasn't much written history. Most of it was oral. And so the stories would be passed down from generation to generation. So he had probably heard about the greatest of his grandparents, the first of his family, and about Adam and Eve and how they were the first ones that were created by this, by this all-powerful God and how they lived in this perfect place called the Garden of Eden. And it was a beautiful existence, just Adam and Eve and God in this perfect place until the snake showed up. Do you remember the part about the snake? The serpent shows up and tempts them to eat some for- forbidden fruit. Something that God had clearly said, this is not for you to eat, and yet they chose to eat it. And when they did, in that moment, it brought this separation between God's creation and a righteous God. And what it did was it brought sin into the world in that moment in such a a powerful way, and now humanity was in a bind. 
And if you read that story in, in the book of Genesis, the very opening chapters of the Bible, you'll see that God, once he finds Adam and Eve and the snake and, and finds out what has happened, God has words for all of them. He speaks to Adam, he speaks to Eve, and then he speaks to the snake. And when he speaks to the serpent, what he says at the very end is so powerful. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says, look, snake, there's gonna be an issue between you and these people because you've, you've made this issue between me and them and you will strike their heel. You will cause them pain. You will hurt them, but he will, he will crush your head. Do we have any snake lovers in the room? Let's turn that around. How many of you are, are freaked out by snakes? And when you read that part that says snake, I'm gonna get you, how many of you say amen, right? There's this promise that's here. Do you see what he said? He said, Adam, Eve, you're gonna have a son. Someone is coming who will take care of this. He will crush the serpent's head. He will deal with the real issue. Here's the promise that he says, snake, you're gonna get it because a son is coming. Someone who's going to come and deal to you the death blow. From that moment when sin first happened in the garden, our issue has never really been physical. Although there's, although there's physical ramifications of all this, the issues that we face, if you get right down to it, they're, they're spiritual. There's sin. There's all kinds of physical consequences of sin. There's, there's natural disasters, there's disease, there's crime, there's hate, there's prejudice, anger, loneliness, poverty, war, greed, depression, jealousy, death. Do you want me to go on? <laughs> there's, all these, there's all these physical ramifications of it, but none of them are the root cause. See, the root cause is that there's sin in the world, and the issue is sin that separates God from man, and what we need, what we've always needed, is someone to come and deal with it, because on our own, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, no matter how much we try to fix things, at the end, I'm not capable of fixing things between me and God, because God is righteous, and I don't know about you, but I'm not, and I need someone to help fix that. That was the way it was from the very beginning in the garden. Our greatest need is the rescue of our souls. More than anything else, what we need is the rescue of our souls. And we try to do all kinds of things to fix it on our own. We try to find these solutions. We try to find happiness and hope and peace. We try to kind of patch up the problems in our lives and it'll never happen unless we deal with the real issue. Like I've known people who have, who, have, who have been in the basement of their house and they realize they have some water coming in their basement. They see a crack in the wall and they call somebody else and say, look, I got this crack in the wall in my basement. I need you to fix this crack so that water won't come in there anymore. And the person looks at it and says, well, that's, that's true. You have an issue here, but the issue really isn't the crack in your wall. The issue is the foundation of your home. And I can patch this thing over, but it's just gonna happen again because the issue isn't that crack. The issue is the foundation. And until you get to the root of the problem, until you get to the source of what's going on here, you're just gonna keep having those same problems. See, the issue isn't all the physical things that we see in the world. The issue comes right down to our very heart. The issue is sin. And what we need is someone to come and rescue us. And this is the story that we read here. Because God said to Adam and Eve, there will be a son. Someone is coming. 
And then that promise goes on and is made to Abraham. It says someone, a son, is coming. Not only will he crush the serpent's head, but through him the world will be blessed. And we go from Abraham to his son Isaac, and Isaac had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was born first, Jacob was born second. And if you read the story, you see that when when Jacob emerged, he was holding on to the heel of his brother. He was coming out a fighter. In fact, his name Jacob means one who grasps the heel. There's a little bit of a, of, a, of a name that's in there as well. If your name's Jacob here today, I want to apologize to you before I tell you this, but the name Jacob actually kind of has as its root the, the meaning deceiver. If your name's Jake, I'm sure you've grown out of it. It's all good. It's all good. This guy did. But it wasn't easy. Jacob in the scripture, and if you read, he was kind of a wily dude, kind of a sneaky dude, and eventually God had to literally wrestle him to the ground to kind of get some of this out of him. And then God says to Abraham's grandson, the same promise he made to Abraham, look at this, Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now Jacob has this promise, this powerful promise. And if you're familiar with this story, you know that Jacob becomes the father of 12 boys and these 12 boys go on to be the founders of the 12 tribes of Israel because Israel was also a name that Jacob had and it was out of Jacob that these children were born who would become the leaders of the tribes of the nation of Israel. It's kind of that snowflake effect, isn't it? It started with Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob and then Jacob had these 12 sons and out of him comes this mighty nation as as God's promise is fulfilled in their lives. And one of those sons was a son named Judah. And, And when Jacob was nearing the end of his life, he called his sons together and he wanted to bless them and he pronounced these blessings that were over them. And listen to what he said to Judah. Genesis chapter 49, verse 10. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come. Do you see the language that's there? This is what scripture is saying to us over and over again. Someone is coming. And he says, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Someone is coming. And this has been the message from, from God to Adam and Eve. Someone is coming. And to Abraham, you will have a son. And to Jacob and to Judah, there is a son who is coming. And now we know he's not just a son, but he's gonna be a ruler. Jacob prophesies that something significant is gonna happen. And I want you to get this. Adam and Eve and Abraham and Jacob and Judah never saw it happen. With their own physical eyes as they walked on the earth. They died holding on to these promises. And never saw them fulfilled. Which is this fascinating truth that some promises will be fulfilled in ways we may never see. Some promises in our lives may be fulfilled in ways that we may never see. Some of the prayers you pray, God answers, but you may never see it actually happen. Some of the promises that God fulfills happen in ways that go beyond our understanding. You okay with that? 
So let's fast forward this thing. Go from Abraham about 600 more years. And we've had Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, we have Judah. And now 600 years later, we land with this boy. He's He's a shepherd. He's the youngest of his father's children. And he's out in the field taking care of the sheep because the rest of his brothers said, hey, we'll take care of the big boy stuff. You take care of this stuff. And he spent an awful lot of time out there by himself with the sheep. And what happened was more than just a a shepherd boy. What emerged was an extraordinary figure in scripture because they found out not only was he a good shepherd, but he was an incredible marksman. He was a brave warrior and a skilled musician. He was a poet of the first order. But you know what the greatest title he had was? God gave it to him himself. God said that David was a man after God's own heart. And David goes on in a very unlikely way from a shepherd boy to have Samuel the prophet show up and anoint him to be the king and then his his life takes these crazy twists and turns where he's literally in hiding, running from a, a crazed ruler for years until he finally becomes the king of Israel. And if you read scripture, you'll find out he's the greatest king that Israel ever had, many argue. King David King David, who's from the tribe of Judah, which you can trace back to Jacob and Abraham and Adam, who've been waiting for the promise that says someone is coming. And when David becomes king, there's a promise that's given to him as well, just like Abraham's promise. We we refer to these promises throughout scripture as covenants. They're covenants, they're promises, they're things that God has swore to us that he will do. And you get to this passage and you look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 and now David gets a promise from God and it says this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David, God says, from you I will keep my promise. And now the language changes. God doesn't say someone is coming. He doesn't just say a son is coming. Now he says there's a king who's coming. And this king is going to be great. And this kingdom is going to last, not just for a little while. It's going to last forever. In fact, look at the language that David himself uses when he's writing about this promise in Psalm 89. He says that God says this, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. Later in that same Psalm, verse 26, he will call out to me, you are my father. There's the language of the son again, isn't it? My God, the rock my savior, and I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth, and I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. This language occurs all throughout the Old Testament. The language that says there's a son coming. Now it says there's a king that's gonna come, and his kingdom will never end. This is good news. I think sometimes we we let it become a little too familiar, but you know what's so cool about a kingdom that never ends? is that it never ends. There's stability in it. How many of you would like a little more stability in your life? So many times we build our lives on things that are shaky or a foundation that we're not so sure will last and we find ourselves in places with instability and the good news about what God said to David was this, this king that's coming is gonna build a kingdom. Just get this, God's kingdom will last forever. God's kingdom will last forever. I love the Christmas season. It's it's a lot of fun. I know it comes with stress. I know it comes with busyness and the hassle and burdens and all that we've talked about. But it's a great season. You got the music. You got the decorations. You got the parties. You got the family. You got the gifts. You you got the gifts. My mom's in this service. You got the gifts. 
right? You got the Christmas cookies. How many of you would like to live in a kingdom where the Christmas cookies have no end? Can I get an amen? Amen. And yet someday you're gonna walk in your kitchen and you're gonna go, there's there's no more peanut butter blossoms. And you'll wonder, is God still on the throne? The answer is yes. Because the Christmas cookie season will end. But God's kingdom never does. And the kingdom that he's come to set up isn't isn't necessarily one where people sit on thrones. But it's where he, he rests on the throne of our heart. And in that we can find confidence and we can find strength. Because God said, David, through you, I'm gonna build a kingdom that will never end because there's a king that's coming. After David, there was, a, there was a whole string of kings. You can read about it, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Second Chronicles. You can read about this in the Old Testament. Some of them were, were good kings. They were godly kings. Some of them weren't so great. Some of them were bad. Some of them were just downright evil. And in the midst of all of this, there was still this promise where God said, I will establish through David my kingdom forever. You not only hear it from these different kings, some good, some bad, but you also see, in fact, you get a real glimpse of this when you look at the prophets all throughout the Old Testament. When you get to that last part of the Old Testament you're reading scripture, it's all comprised of these prophets who would speak truth to Israel at different times in their existence. And you will hear the same thing over and over again. Someone is coming, a son is coming, a king is coming. Let me show you some of this language. Let's start with prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter two verse five he says this come descendants of Jacob let us walk in the light of the Lord now I want you to see what's important here he talks about the descendants of Jacob the house of Jacob he's talking to the people of Israel and look at what he goes on to say Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 he says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse isn't that weird language doesn't mean anything to us so much But what he's saying is there is something that is going to happen that is gonna move forward. God's plan, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Does anybody remember what David's father's name was? David's father's name was Jesse. You know who this is talking about here? It's again tying it back to the promise God made to David. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's a promise made. There's a son of David who is coming. Isaiah says this, but so does Jeremiah. Look at this, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five. Jeremiah writes, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous savior. Whoa, now we're mixing it up a little bit more. He's not just a son. He's not just a ruler. He's not just a king. Now he's come to be our savior. And we've already looked since the Garden of Eden. Do you know what we've needed more than anything else? (laughs) We've needed a savior. Micah chapter five, verse two. Here's a, here's a little hint. It says, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He says, here's a little hint. You know where the ruler's gonna come from? This son of David, he's gonna come from this little, kind of many people thought a know-nothing town of Bethlehem. 
And probably the greatest expression about this king that's gonna come in the Old Testament, we see in Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. The prophet writes, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Wow. What a description. Someone is coming. A son, a king, a savior. And some of you are saying, hey, Chad, Anybody tell you it's the Sunday before Christmas? You haven't even mentioned gold, Frankenstein, or myrrh yet. Where's this going? Thanks for the history lesson. What's this all about? I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget, or or maybe we're just not aware of the fact that there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. We have kind of the two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but there was a 400 year gap between the two. From the end of the writing of the Old Testament until the beginning of the New Testament, there were 400 years that we really don't have recorded in the Bible. Now some Bibles outside of the the Protestant faith have what's referred to as the Apocrypha. And although those of us that are part of the Protestant faith do not believe that the Apocrypha is the inspired scriptures, the inspired word of God. We don't hold it to be, the, the term is, we don't hold it to be canon. I do think that the Apocrypha gives to us an interesting history of this time between the Old and the New Testament. It's what we often refer to as the intertestamental period, the time between those two testaments. Old Testament, New Testament, in between is what's called the intertestamental period. Sometimes you'll hear theologians refer to this as the 400 silent years because it's this season of time, these 400 years, where we really don't have any written revelation in scripture. I had a professor in in Bible college named Dr. Wave Nunnally, who used to refer to this as the 400 not so silent years. Because we like to say that there was no, there's no revelation, there was no word during that time, but it's really important that we understand what was going on during those 400 years, because it was those 400 years that set the world up for Jesus to come, right? So those 400 years are pretty significant. Because for centuries, for generations, do you remember what the Jewish people have been saying? They've been saying, we are waiting for someone to come. We are looking for a son. We are waiting for a king. What we need is someone who will rule us and set us free because that's the deepest longing of the human heart. What we need is a savior. And remember, during those 400 years, Israel, the Jewish people were under the oppressive rule of the Roman government. They were being taxed. They were being oppressed. They didn't have their freedoms in the way that they wanted. They weren't their own nation. And for a proud Jewish people, that was a very difficult thing. And it had good seasons, it had bad seasons, but it was a tough 400 years. And they had many corrupt rulers during that season of time. And through it all, over and over again, their prayer was, we want our king. Someone is coming. And many times, certain someone stepped up, certain people who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the one who would set them free, who claimed to be the king that they were waiting for. And people were quick to identify them as that because they were desperate for someone to come and save them. 
One of these was a guy named, named Judas of Gamala, or sometimes you'll hear him referred to as Judas of Galilee. He came on the scene right in that season of time, just at the end of the first century BC and the beginning of the first century AD. So right there, kind of at that, at that bridge in time, he rose up. Many, many scholars would believe that he started what's referred to as the fourth philosophy. And it was actually that philosophy, this, this thought process that led to many of the Jewish revolts in the first century and ultimately to the war that took place between in Jerusalem with Rome and the destruction of the temple in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem, in Israel in that time. And it was this guy, Judas of Gamala, who kind of got his start right at the beginning or the end there of the first century, beginning of the, the, the first century AD, when there was this census that was taken. Caesar said, I want to know how many people are in my empire so I know how much tax I can get. And so he took this census History tells us it was when a guy named Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and they took this census, and Judas of Gamala said, we don't want to pay you taxes, so we're not going to take part in your census, and he led a revolt against Rome. They refused to be a part of the census, even to the point that they would punish other Jews who would take part in this census. It was a heated time, and here was why, because they were saying, we want to be free. We want to have our liberty. We want someone to rescue us. We want God to send us our king. And some people thought it was this guy, Judas. And it just shows us what a powder keg of time it was there at the beginning of the first century because the human heart longs to be set free. The human heart longs to be set free. And why is this important? Because it was into that world, at the beginning of the first century, when they were desperately waiting and literally revolting, trying to find their freedom, that an angel shows up, kinda unannounced and uninvited, to a young lady, a virgin, in Nazareth the Galilee, and gives her some pretty surprising news. Luke chapter one, verse 30. But the angel said to Mary, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. There's a son that's coming, Mary. You gotta understand this. The hope and prayer of every young woman in Israel was God. Can I be the mother of the king? The greatest desire in life would have been to be the one who would bear the Messiah. And the angel says to her, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Not just because it was a cool name. Do you know what the name Jesus means? It means the Lord saves us. The God who saves. Why is this so significant? Because our greatest need since the Adam and Eve story in the Garden of Eden has been the rescue of our souls. The angel goes on to say this, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. Think of the language that's there. Think of this. He says he'll be the son of the most high. The most high was the term that was used for God. You know who one of the first people to use that term in the Old Testament is? A guy named Abraham. Do you remember him? Do you know who liked to use that term to refer to God? Go back and read some of the Psalms. David referred to him as God the most high. And now the angel's standing before Mary and saying, Mary, guess who your son's gonna be? He's not just any other kid. He's not just this simple little baby. He is the son of the most high. This is the son of God. Before he's a king who will rescue you, he's God who's come to earth. And he goes on to connect all the dots here, right? He says, look, he's going to, he's going to rule over the house of Jacob. This takes us all the way back to Abraham's promise. He says he's gonna sit on the throne of his father, David. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, this is the king you've been waiting for. This is the one who's gonna come. He's making an argument here, and it means so much more than what we just recognize in our culture because some promises will be fulfilled in ways that we may never see. And he's saying to Mary, Mary, this, this, this king that's coming, God's kingdom will last forever. Why, why do we stress this today? Because I wanted you to see from beginning to end that God has a plan. And that from the very beginning of time until the time that Jesus comes again, God has had this thing mapped out. He knows what he's doing. And some of you need to hear that because you're wondering if God has a plan in your life. You're wondering if God knows what he's doing in your life. And you wanna see blessings like the stars in the sky and right now all you see is baby steps. And you feel like maybe God has had some promises for you, but you're not sure that you're gonna receive them or see them. And the truth is, we can trust him because from the very beginning of time, he's had a plan. What's the plan? Look at this, Luke chapter two, verse one. Let's go back to the story. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued, you remember him, right? <laughs> it's the cold medicines wearing off, friends, sorry. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Do you remember when we talked about the census? The revolt? This is it. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria and everyone went to their own town to register. If there was ever a time for the Messiah to show up, this was it. Verse four. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, and he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Do you remember Bethlehem? Back in the Old Testament, God has said, look, I got a plan, I got this thing worked out. Here's what I want you to know. Christmas doesn't start in a manger and it doesn't end with the wise men. Christmas is a story that goes back to the very beginning of time when God said, I make a promise and I keep my promise and I am going to send my son who's a king and he's a savior and he's coming for you. He's my gift to you. Verse six, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This, this just doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if God's gonna do something big, shouldn't he do it big? Shouldn't there have been an army? Some kind of victory, some kind of parade, some kind of battle, some kind of, I mean, they've been waiting a long time for this king. 
Don't you think there should have been some fanfare of some kind? At least, I don't know. And you know what God says? He says, remember, sometimes I fulfill my biggest promises in what to you appears to be baby steps. Literal baby steps. He did it in a way that we could relate to. He came as a baby. Verse eight. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. You know what I think of when I hear that passage? Linus. Anybody else? I see that little cartoon guy holding on to his blanket and standing in front of that puny little Christmas tree, quoting that scripture. It's not what the shepherds thought of. Do you know what the shepherds heard? They heard town of David. David, the one, the one that the king would come through. They heard Savior. They heard Messiah. They heard God was keeping his promises. They heard, wow, this, this is what we've waited for. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know why they were singing about peace? Because the human heart longs to be set free. It's the point. From all creation, even through those 400 not so silent years, this is what we long for. To be set free. Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Thanks for, thanks for being patient with me today. I know we've been on this interesting journey. We've kind of charted the history of this thing. But what I wanted you to see was from the beginning to the end. Christmas is more than just from the manger to the wise men. This was God's plan. And all along, he was sending someone. This book echoes the idea someone is coming and in Jesus he has come and I want you to see this, Jesus came to be the king of Christmas. Now that's not a biblical title, you're not gonna see that anywhere. But it's probably good for us to know, see Christmas is that term we all come back to, we relate on it, we know that's when Jesus was born and he didn't just come to be the king of Christmas, we want him to be a king that we can put all of our physical trust in and that's true, so did they those thousands of years ago but what he really came to be was to be a king inside of us, his kingdom until he comes again is something that lives inside the hearts of his people, Jesus came to be the king of our heart. 
And if you really want a job description of what that means, there's no better place than to go back to what Isaiah said in chapter nine. Listen to this again and understand this. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Man, I'll tell you this, after the year we've had, it's good to know that the government is on somebody's shoulders, isn't it? Now look, that's not a political statement. That's just a truth. There's times when I need to know that the things in my life, the challenges, the issues, the struggles, the circumstances, there's some place I can put them that they will rest, that's capable. I wanna know that I can put them on his shoulders. This, this is a cheesy analogy, I know this, but bear with me for a minute. Maybe, maybe you did this when you were little or, or maybe you've seen it in the movies. When it comes down to the moment, a family's trimming the Christmas tree, getting it all decorated, comes down to the moment when you're gonna put the star on top. Who's gonna put the star on top? Well, you pick the little guy to put the star on the top of the tree. The problem is he or she can't reach it on their own. So what does dad do? Dad picks them up and in order for them to do it, he puts them on his a place where they can rest, a place from which they can reach. Some of you this Christmas, because of what you've been through or are going through, you need to know that there is a God on whose shoulders you can rest. You could trust in him. Because he's not just the random king of the month. He's the king that we've been talking about since the very beginning of time. What kind of king will he be? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's important for some of you this Christmas to think about those names, the names of this king that we're talking about, because it says he is a wonderful counselor, and understand this, Jesus is the source of the wisdom of God. And some of you need that wisdom. Some of you need that counsel. Some of you are in a tough spot and you're not sure what this is gonna look like and you need a wonderful counselor and you know why he's wonderful? Because he's had a plan all along. We saw it today, didn't we? We watched it unfold. You can put your confidence in this wonderful counselor. Some of you need wisdom this Christmas and it's available through him. He's also a mighty God, which tells us that Jesus is the source of the strength of God. And if you need God's strength in your heart, maybe because you're not so sure that you can handle what 2017 is gonna throw your way, he's a source of our strength. Not only that, but it says he's the everlasting father means that Jesus is the source of the presence of God. And in him we can rest. We can find in him the presence of God. And some of you are lonely, empty, or you need a shoulder to rely on. He doesn't fail you. He's an everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. Jesus is the source of the prince of peace. He's the peace of God. Jesus is the source of the peace of God. And on his shoulders you can rest. 
And so what we're going to do in these next few moments is sing a song together. Usually you wouldn't think of it as a Christmas song, but um, we're going to make it one today. Is that okay? It's a familiar song to us, and it talks about the king of my heart. And then it gives a description of who he came to be. And as we sing this song about who God is and the difference that he makes in our lives, I want you to sing it with your whole heart. In fact, maybe even right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes before we even sing? And if you need him to be your wonderful counselor, if you need him to be your mighty God, he's been planning to be that since the very beginning of time. If you need him to be your everlasting father, Let his presence just be with you in these moments. If you need his peace, it's there. You can rest on his shoulders. As we sing this song, would you entrust yourself to him? Would you make him the king of your heart here today? Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run. The fountain I drink from, oh, he is my Go ahead, lift your voice, sing that song. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life, oh, he is my song. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where I the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my son. Let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide. The ransom for my life, oh, he is my Sing these simple son. words, God, you're good. You are good.
wrap up, there may be some of you that are here and you'd say, God, I need you to be king of my heart. This week, this, this week that's so filled with emotion and activity and busyness, it's Christmas week. God, I need your wisdom as wonderful counselor. I need your strength as mighty God. Everlasting Father, I need your presence. I need to rest on the shoulders of the Prince of Peace. If you would just say, God, I need you to be king of my heart this week, would you just raise your hand? It's you. You just raise your hand, put it right back down. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Just say, the situation I'm in, circumstances I'm facing, God, I need you to be king of my heart this week. Anybody else? Raise your hand, put it right back down. Father, we come to you and we thank you that we can put our confidence and our trust in you. From the very beginning of time, you've promised to be our king, our savior. Jesus, I stand with those that raise a hand today, and I just pray this week, would you show yourself to be real and true to us? How we put our hope in you. May you be the king of our heart, our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Now, God, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Send us out with your special favor, your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.